Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Welcome in, Hokies fans, to this edition of the Tech Sideline Podcast. We record on Monday, November 8th, and this starts crossover season for us here on the Tech Sideline Podcast as episode 206. We'll start with Virginia Tech football struggles in Boston College this weekend, a 7 to 17 to 3 loss on Friday night and then in the second half we will transition to Hokies hoops as they begin their season tomorrow night against Maine in Castle Coliseum. All of that and much more on episode 206 of the Tech Sideline podcast which starts right now. We welcome you in, however you are taking in this episode of the Tech Sideline Podcast, whether that's archived on SoundCloud, Stitcher, Amazon Music, Apple Podcasts, or Google Podcasts, or if you are watching on YouTube archived, be sure to give us a like, comment, and subscribe to the Tech Sideline YouTube channel. If you are in the live YouTube stream, be sure to drop a question or comment in the chat for Will and Chris, and we will get to those with Nick at the end of the show. As always, the Tech Sideline pod- Podcast brought to you by the Southeast Regional Training Center. You can help bring a Olympic hopeful athletes to one of the best and fastest growing wrestling programs in the entire country. Visit southeastrtc.com to learn more and donate today. We are finally back in the morning on Monday for the first time in what feels like almost a month. We got the usual crew on set. Will Stewart across the way, founder and general manager of TechSideline.com, lead analyst and columnist Chris Coleman to my left. In the fourth chair today, it is Nick Brown. He will have his segment in the middle of the show. Going to talk football and men's basketball as we again enter crossover season here. Behind the scenes, Malcolm Stewart, the best podcast producer in the land, and I'm your host, Jake Lyman. We have to start with uh, the, the tough stuff, football, uh, on, on Friday night. Uh, traveled up to Chestnut Hill and lost 17-3. to And I wanted to start with, uh, you all picked Virginia Tech in this game and felt pretty confident about it that it was a good matchup for the Hokies. Uh, how far into warm-ups when you saw Phil Dracovich warming up and Trey Turner not warming up did you want to change your pick? Uh, mm. uh, you know, the thing about Dracovic, like, I... I I knew he would present a greater challenge, but at the same time, he hadn't played since early September. So he really he, didn't play. He, 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 he didn't well. play that you well. They, I mean, well, but he didn't th- throw they well. they didn't let him throw it all that much, which is odd for for Hayfleet because all he does is throw the ball around the park <laughs> until he gets to Virginia. Until Tech. he gets to Virginia Tech <laughs> and yeah, and actually comes up with the right game plan. Um, but I think some of that was due to the rust uh, of Dracovic. So uh, yeah, I wanted to change my pick, but I didn't like completely want to change my pick until Burmeister got hurt. Yeah, you know, I mean, I, I thought even with Dracovic in the Tech, Tech still had a good sh- good chance at winning. Well, the Hokies started off playing well against Dracovic. Dorian mm-hmm. Strong gets an interception. Uh, didn't last very long. Ended up being a 22-yard <laughs> gain for Boston College uh, in the net after he fumbled it. it. It's a big play for Dorian Strong. He read it perfectly, but maybe yeah. just a little bit of his youth showing that it, he couldn't get down and take care of the football. Yeah, um, and, and maybe a little bit of that is – you don't have 
confidence in your own offense, so you're trying to get as big a return as possible. I don't know. You'd have to ask Dorian Strong. That Did question. you see Chamari run over to him right after the fumble and then point at the sideline? Like, run over to the sideline. Get out of bounds with the next one. Yeah. Well, it was a big play, and then Boston College proceeded to score. They went up 7 nothing, And then, like you mentioned, that's when disaster kind of struck for Virginia Tech as Braxton Burmeister went down. He only threw one pass in the entire game Played before nine he got snaps, hurt. Looked it up. It, it's tough for the Hokies to do much when Braxton Burmeister goes down. There's not a ton of you know, elite arm talent behind him. No, and uh, I mean, I said on last Wednesday's podcast, I don't know how Virginia Tech can win a football game without Braxton Burmeister yeah. because I don't think they have the quarterback talent behind them, and I've been saying that all year. And uh, I texted you and David during the game as soon as he got hurt and said the scoring streak is about to end tonight. I was wrong, but barely. It took a 47-yard field goal from John yeah. Parker Romo. So you were in champs when uh, JPR kicked that field goal and you said champs erupted. <laughs> yeah, it did. It did. It did. It uh, continues for at least one more game. So, it, it, you know, and I, I always play this game and I think it annoys people. If you look at the game, um, Dorian Strong intercepts the ball and then fumbles it back and BC scores a touchdown. I think it was BC's next possession where they had a third and 11 and Dracovic threw a duck. And I think it was Tay Daly comes in and smacks it down, and they catch it for a ten yard gain. Yeah, but just bounced up in the air. Yeah, and then they, and then they pick up the first down and they kick a field goal. That's ten points that you can argue they shouldn't have gotten. It, it, it sort of reminded me of like, all right, so you remember the two thousand eight Miami game when they fumbled like three times and the ball kept bouncing ten yards forward <laughs> and they would recover. I know. And I the know. same thing happened in the Michigan game. And, and Virginia Tech wound up winning that game against Miami anyway, right? No, no, not, not in two thousand eight. That, that was the one they lost sixteen to ten, I think. Maybe. And then they it was the two thousand six game. I'm thinking it was where seventeen they, to ten. Like, we yeah. had a late touchdown. Yeah, where Tech, Tech won that game with about one hundred ninety yards of total offense. Yeah, I, I looked this stuff up as Tech was flailing away offensively. There's this uh, there's this little known football stats database that you can search on Hokie Sports. It's not the regular Hokie Sports. It's over on, I think, stats.hokiesports.com. You can drill down and find a, a football database that you can search. So I was searching on fewest yards per game, you know, for Virginia Tech. And that, that Miami game showed up. And it was uh, – I searched a lot of stats, so they're all kind of muddled up in my mind. But I got a big, long list of games. And I think that's the only one Tech won was mm-hmm. that uh, game against Miami. Yeah, like – what was the lowest? Like the lowest one I remember off the top of my head was Pitt in 2015 with a, exactly 100 yards. So which, I will do that make, research. While which makes we're me talking. wonder how in the world did Tech score in that game when they only had 100 yards of offense? And I don't remember the score of the game, but I do remember that they scored. Well, Will talks. He makes a good point that some bad luck went the Hokies' defense defense's way. A fumble on mm-hmm. an interception, and then a tip ends up being a 10 yard gain. Burmeister goes down. This is a game the Hokies easily could have been in if it didn't seem like the first quarter of the game, pretty much everything went wrong. Yeah, everything did go wrong for that first quarter as far as those two plays and then the Burmeister injury. Uh, Tuck was running the ball well early in the game. They actually ran the ball well the entire game, especially when you consider that after Burmeister went down, I mean, BC knew Tech had no hope of of completing passes down the field for big gains. So you could just sell out against the run, and Tech was still able to run the ball. So that's a credit to how the running game is developed and everything. But uh, there's just not a great chance of a competent passing game without Burmeister in there. And I'm not saying he's an elite passer. I'm just saying it's like – He's a competent passer. Yeah, right. When I watch those two – open practices at the, at the beginning of the spring, I thought there was a significant downgrade after Burmeister. Uh, I, I'm hopeful 
or at least from Burmeister to Kadem. Um, as far as Bloomerick goes, Justin Fuente said after the Notre Dame game that you know he would be out about a month, and we're coming up on about a month. And yes, this is falling off the, wow. the table. Thanks to your wonderful engineering. Oh, no, that's Malcolm. No, Malcolm it's Malcolm? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> so Chris, Chris is sitting with his mic in his lap. Yes. And uh, anyway, sorry. Second to time that's happened to me. Um, <laughs> uh, where was I? These, one, uh, these ones are at least a little less heavy than the old ones. That's that true. settles it, dude. I'm drilling a hole in the table. We're mounting that thing <laughs> uh, in the abs- table. Absolutely. Um, I forgot what I was talking well, about. Well, talking about the, the quarterback, just not much yeah, behind yeah, Burmeister. Blumberg, you know, doesn't, didn't come in with the knowledge of the system because he hadn't been here. But at this point, if he can come back and Burmeister can't play, then then, then Blumberg's the best option because he has more arm talent than Kadem and he can run. Like, Kadem knows the system better, but, like, I think he's got an FCS-level arm. And Virginia Tech, he was committed to JMU before decommitting and signing with the Hokies. So, like, it only ma- your knowledge of the system only matters so much if you can't physically execute the majority of the offense. And that's why I think at this point, if if Burmeister can't come back and Blumrick is ready, then Blumrick would be the better option. Well, the Hokies didn't complete a pass until the final two minutes of the first half, three passing yards in the first half, total of just 73 in the game, and 50 of those came in the fourth quarter when the Hokies pretty much had to throw it. Will's got something over there. All right, so let's have a little fun here. Uh, I, these records go back to 1987, so basically the beginning of the, the Beamer coaching era. So that uh, 2015, 2015 game you mentioned against Pitt yeah. was 100 yards, yep. and that's the second worst oh my God. since 1987. Only nine yards rushing in that game. Yeah. The, the worst was 60 yards against Clemson in September 12, 1987. Beamer's first year. First year, I don't think could have been first game. Uh, September twelfth, probably his second game. I think they they played either Navy or JMU in the first game. I don't really recall. So the first two were both losses. Of course, the third game, one hundred and thirty nine yards in two thousand six at Miami, and the Hokies won seventeen to ten. And I remember Tech won that game on a late run by Brandon Orr. It was like perfectly blocked. Like it was it was a play you could draw up and say, "Wow, everything about that play was perfect." So, so back, yeah, to, to your point, back before YouTube, back before any sort of play diagramming existed, I mean, that was 2006. I remember writing an article and drawing this diagram with all the little players as circles and all these arrows showing how all the tech blockers sealed everybody off. A couple of Miami guys went in the wrong direction. And the C's parted, and Brandon Orr scored the game when he touched It was like one-seventh of Virginia Tech's total offensive, offensive <laughs> output that night. Yeah. yeah, and so it was one of those things. Of like, look, see what you're capable of, but like, you don't do it any other time. But Tech was still able to win that one. But uh, I don't know. You, you can't uh, you can't win when you only score three points. Obviously. So, so I've got, like I said, loss, loss, win. And remember, these are worst total yardage performances by Virginia Tech. And then it's two, four, six, eight, ten, twelve. 14, 16, 18 losses after that. Mm-hmm. So of the 20, 21 worst total offensive performances, Tech actually won one of them. And it was and, the third worst. Yes. And, <laughs> and so this, it's 235 yards. It's pretty far down the list. It looks like it's about 40th or so. I'm just sitting here scrolling. Yeah, with my Tech phone. did. I mean, they ran the ball for 170 some yards. So, uh, you know, the, the running game was very capable. It was good enough to win that game if, ever, if, if the passing game had been 
halfway decent. Yeah. And it, it made it clear that Malachi Thomas and Blackshear, they are that the duo in the backfield yeah. the Hokies have needed, 137 yards on just 25 carries. So averaging yeah. well over five yards a carry, yeah, that's another good and game. Half, yeah. And it was consistent for both of them. I think one was 5.6, the other was 5.4. Yeah. Um, yeah, you know, they're clearly Tech's best two options there. The offensive line is playing better. Gallo had, had a good game at tight end, I think. And uh, I'm just I'm just really impressed with um the, like the body lean of Malachi Thomas. He's just a natural runner. You always see he's got that forward lean that you look for in running backs. And uh, I think once he gets some uh, time in the weight room, he's got a chance to be a I mean, he's a good player now, but he's got a chance to be a really good player. Yeah, yeah. He's up to something like uh, before the game it was 305 yards gained and three yards lost. It's now 375 mm-hmm. yards gained and three yards lost. That's a tremendous ratio. He's, he's got good, not going backwards. He's got good vision, and you know, if you if you do it once, you know, maybe it's a fluke. You do it twice, and you're like, oh, okay, your ears perked up. But now that's three good games in a row for him. Yeah, uh, wasn't 100 yards this time, but honestly, Tech didn't have the ball enough to have a get around. Well, Tech ran 51 plays. Right, right. Their, their next lowest total is 60. I don't remember who, the, oh, against Pitt. And you remember how flaccid that outing against Pitt was. Well, this was nine plays worse. They only ran 51 plays. And part of that was, you know, th- this game moved very quickly because both teams were running at first. You know, Jason Benetti said on the broadcast, he said, it's a really fast move in first quarter. You know, uh, Virginia yep. Tech had one possession in the first quarter and then one that started late in the first quarter. And only only like three or four possessions in the entire I, first half. I know like three of Tech's first 14 plays were running plays, and I, I stopped keeping up at that point. Passing plays, you mean? Uh, I think you said three of the first 14. Were running plays. They no. didn't throw oh, the ball. 13 of the first 14. 13. Sorry, okay. Sorry. Okay. Why did I say three? <laughs> anyway, nope, that's the Which, I mean, I, we expected a run-heavy attack. Yeah. Because BC has been bad against the run this year, but they have the number like number 10 pass defense yeah. in the country. So we knew coming in, like, without Trey Turner, which who we pretty much knew wasn't going to play before the game, we knew that without Trey Turner, the passing game was going to be limited to a certain extent, no matter who was quarterback. But we, So we knew, I knew going in, like, this is going to be run, 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 run by Virginia Tech. And then BC matched them by running all over the place. So, yeah, that was a quick game. I mean, I remember turning around. I was watching the game with uh, Raleigh Hokey. And, mm-hmm. uh, and it, it seemed like – it just seemed like within an hour of kickoff, the game was all, like, almost halftime because that's yeah. all it was was just runs. Well, we talked about on Wednesday's podcast, maybe Jeff Halfley is watching this podcast because you <laughs> said that if Boston College wants to win, they have to run the ball. And it seemed, I, I want to say Garwo got close to 30 carries. Yeah, it was the absolute wow. right strategy for Boston College, uh, particularly when they got the lead like that, 10 nothing, and, and Virginia Tech's backup quarterback is in the game and there's no Trey Turner. So you're just sitting there thinking, Look, there's, there's just not much of a chance Virginia Tech's going to be able to win this game unless we screw it up. That should have been what – that's probably what was going through Hayley's mind at, at that point. So, uh, I mean, that was the right strategy for him. It made for a boring football game, but uh, <laughs> that's, that's what they needed to do to win. Well, we're going to get an update on Braxton Burmeister, we assume, when Justin Fuente takes the podium in a little under an hour. But if Braxton Burmeister is unable to go, you've got three regular season games left. Could there be a potential to see Taj Bullock take the reins when you're not going to burn his red shirt at this point? And if the Hokies kind of see no Braxton Burmeister, we're probably not going to make a bowl game. Uh, give the young guy a chance. I uh, I think so. I think you could see that. You know, I mean, uh, I mean the winds are blowing pretty pretty strong against Justin Fuente being back here next year. So what the heck, you know? Uh, 
send Bullock out there and, and give us something different to look at. You know, I know coaches don't think like that. They're always trying to win, you know. I, I sat next to a former college quarterback before the Syracuse game, and he got in into the stadium early enough to watch warm-ups. And I got, and I got in there, and he was like, man, should have seen our quarterbacks throwing the ball in pregame warm-ups. And this is a former college quarterback, and he was just telling me how unimpressed he was with all of them. Uh, Bullock threw one into the seats at one point. Apparently, during yeah. pregame warmups, like, and let, let's like we talk about Tech's players not progressing or, or perhaps even regressing at, at quarterback or whatever position, and we've seen how much better Hendon Hooker is at Tennessee this year. Uh, like, let's, let's not forget who like Taj Bullock is getting the same coach coaching as all these other Tech quarterbacks, you know. Um, there's there's a rumor out there that he's got a little bit of a hitch in his delivery and everything like that. Now that being said, like like Tech needs a quarterback that can do something on the ground. Yeah. I think um, I, I don't. So if if Blumert can't come back soon, then you would at least be able to think that when it's fourth and one and you and you want to run the quarterback like they did with Kadem the other night, then then you should at least think Bullock would be able to run that play, mm-hmm. right? Um, the thing is, though, it's like, does it really matter? I, 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 I've, I just, I, I doubt Bullock has the knowledge of the offense to make that much of a difference at, at this point. I mean, he, he's a three-star true freshman. Those guys yeah, aren't ready. I'm not actually suggesting he's the path to victory. Right. <laughs> I'm just saying. Just, it, just to have something different to do watch. Do something different. Yeah. It, it may look almost the same as Kadem, and at least you you can show, hey, here's a young guy getting some reps, and, and maybe he's the future, but you're not sure. Yeah. It's just with three games left, cue the red lights. You're not burning his red shirt. That's true. That's so, true. An opportunity possibly there. If Burmeister is healthy, is this a team that can still win two out of its last three and get bowl eligibility? Well, they're playing Miami for one of those games, and, and – as Miami showed this past weekend when they almost lost to Georgia Tech, I mean, Miami's capable of winning just about any game on their schedule outside of that first one against Alabama. They're also capable <laughs> of losing just about yeah. any one of them. I mean, you just don't know which Miami team's going to show up. Um, if, if good Miami shows up, they could just blow Virginia Tech's doors off. But if bad Miami shows up, Virginia Tech could win the game, yes, if they have Burmeister. Uh, Virginia Tech can certainly beat Duke if they have a – Healthy Braxton Burmeister, and and we don't we don't even know Bren, Brennan Armstrong. Yeah, we still status. don't know Armstrong's status. For, with I believe he said he's feeling better, but I I doubt he would go out there and say, "Oh, you know what? I'm not going to play. I'm not going to play." Right, right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, and UVA's defense is bad. So, yes, the possibility. One of, one of the worst in the country. Yes, yeah. absolutely. So, the possibility. Yes, the possibility's there. But you, you just think about Burmeister at some point. Like even if he plays on Saturday, right, we've said all we've talked about is throwing shoulder all year long and now you're talking about an injury to the rib cage on the right on the right side of his body basically the entire throwing side of his body of his upper body is messed up how effective can he really be with that i mean that i mean he's he's already played through a lot of pain this year and it just just doesn't seem likely to me that he's going to be anywhere close to his peak effectiveness. Yeah, I don't he, think I don't think he's been at his peak effect, effectiveness all year because of the shoulder. But yeah. now you add ribs to that, and he's probably be a little more hesitant to run with, with a rib injury. I would think if you've ever been hitting when you've got raw ribs like that, it's not fun. 
I mean, I've had to wear a flak jacket for a football game before. It's wow. Yeah, it's it's not not fun. Yeah, he's he's in the uh, tough quarterbacks Hall of Fame now with uh, Al <laughs> yeah. Clark, uh, Michael Brewer. And yeah, now, and now Braxton. Well, you know, they finally let him keep it on a bunch of read options, and you know. Well, good until he got hurt. Yeah, and Braxton even tried to come back in. I believe he had a helmet on starting the second quarter, but uh, I guess in warmups he just couldn't go. I mean, I don't see how you could if you got to. I mean, yeah. Oh man. Well, there was one other play I want to talk touch on before we transition to basketball in the second half. It got a lot of uh, attention on Twitter. Down 14, five minutes left, fourth down. Virginia Tech elects to punt mm-hmm. from their own 25-yard line. What, what was your take on that play, I, the decision? I remember in 2008 when Virginia Tech had lost Tyrod Taylor and Sean Glennon in the Florida State game, and third-string quarterback Corey Holt was in the game. And, and Beamer punted down 10 with about three and a half minutes left in that game. And I remember being furious at the time. And uh, because – but, you know, Beamer thought at that point the offense had been struggling with a third-string quarterback, and he thought his best way to win the football game was to punt the ball, maybe get a muff punt, get a stop, and, and flip the field position game. And uh, I still don't disagree – excuse me, I still don't agree with the Beamer call because I, I think Corey Holt had at least was, had a good enough arm to throw the ball down. He'd the field been in the system a while. Oh, he was yeah. a senior. Yeah. And he was a good athlete. Yeah, yeah exactly. Um, the, the other one the other night, like – I don't think Virginia Tech had any chance to drive the ball 75 yards and score a touchdown. Nah. I mean, I actually agree with Fuente here that the, the odds were in your favor of scoring by punting, which is sad. Ugh. But well, but I believe it was, I understand a, it was a fourth and eight or fourth and nine or something like that. You look through Virginia Tech's game, there wasn't a lot of times where they threw the ball and got more than eight or nine yards. Right. It was fourth and six. Fourth yeah. and six, okay. Yeah. So, I mean – so yeah, that that's my thoughts on that. That's I agree with the decision, which is sad. It's here's, sad here's, that it's here's, come here's to the that. flip side of that decision, though. You're quitting on your players when you don't give them a chance to make that play. I hear you. The logic and the metrics and all that stuff aren't necessarily wrong, but you're sending a message to your players like, I don't think you can do this. I think my you know let's just punt and 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 cross our fingers and hope something good happens, which is the same thing Frank did, sure. you know, back in 2008. It's just and mm, and and that stuff permeates, you know, as if they don't have enough issues yeah. than to basically quit on your players. And I don't throw the keyword around lightly. I've used it maybe three times in in the twenty five years I've been covering Virginia Tech. I used it to describe a uh, basketball game that I believe Seth Greenberg's team played against Miami one time, where I just basically said they quit, mm-hmm. you know. And I don't remember the third instance. It's not a word I throw around lightly, but. He kind of quit on him, you know, checked his sheet, got into his, his wonky head and said, let's punt. Maybe that'll work, you know, and it's without spending a moment to think, what are my players going to think about this? Well, Peter Moore had a pretty good game. Here's why I say like that strategy was about to work. It was a great punt on the 55 yards it all was. the way to the 20. Yeah. If you got three, all three timeouts left, right? Or was it just two? It was two. I think it was two. Okay. I th- but but you, if you could have stopped him right there, you could have got the ball back, you know, around the 30, 40-yard line, or with a, maybe with a good return by Tavion. You know, well, you could have got the ball back with like four minutes left, close to midfield. Man, that's a lot of ifs. <laughs> well, and that, that's what Justin Fuente hey, said. They were playing it's, the field position. It's, it's not as big of an if as Virginia Tech completing a pass down the field. <laughs> mm, I, don't, <laughs> mm, I don't know, man. 
Look, it doesn't matter. <laughs> neither, neither one of them was going to work. We, we, all right, Tech didn't lose that game on Friday night. Tech lost that game in the years in leading the years up to Friday night. Up, in the years <laughs> leading up to Friday night, yes. Uh, so let's talk about one more thing, though, before we switch to basketball. And uh, this is a David Cunningham tweet. I don't know the exact quote. I'm sorry. I'm just This is a David tweet while he was uh, participating in the postgame press conference. Fuente said he didn't know that Trey Turner wasn't going to be able to go this week, though it was an injury from Georgia Tech last week. Mentioned that he practiced this week, so it was sort of a surprise. Uh, I think the entirety of the fan base knew Trey wasn't going to play. <laughs> we talked about it on the podcast last week. We did. We brought it up. We said, we've heard crack sternum. He's not going to play. His mom was on Twitter saying they told me not to fly to Boston. Um, on Tuesday. On Tuesday, yes. So that's just a really odd statement. And um, it it's one of two things, and, and neither one of them is good, either – Fuente was completely unaware of the health of one of his most important players, or he, uh, I don't like to use the word lie, he just fibbed in the post-game press conference. I, it's just, it's a really odd situation. And, and I, unfortunately, in the heat of the moment, went off on it. Uh, <laughs> I quote tweeted it and said, the ongoing, ongoing disconnect between Justin Fuente and his medical slash training staff is stunning. This has been going on for years, a lack of awareness of his players' health and readiness to play. Chris fusses about specific examples almost weekly on the TSL podcast. I, I probably should have slowed my roll a little bit, <laughs> but, you know, it's in the heat of the heat of the moment, and it's just a it's an odd situation. Which one is it? Did he not know, or did he just lie about he, it? He's, he's, always, acceptable. he's always been so guarded about injuries. Yeah. And I don't think he had any idea that, most of the fan base knew that Trey Turner wasn't going to play in that football game. Yeah. And because, you know, head coaches don't sit around all week scouring the internet to figure out what <laughs> people know. But again, that's that's where somebody in the communications department or somebody needs to tell him, look, everybody knows Trey Turner wasn't going to play in this football game. Yeah. In which case, he gets up there and, and instead of saying something like that, he says, yeah, Trey is injured and couldn't be with us this week. Uh, hopefully he has a speedy recovery and can be back next week. And that's that. Right. Um, it's just it's just a lack of awareness of fan knowledge that, in my opinion, from the program. Well, and we've also talked about, like Will said, the disconnect between Fuente and his training staff. You've talked about plenty of examples of guys playing the one, first two snaps. The first play of the game, uh, Khalil Herbert against Liberty last year returns the kickoff and can't play. Uh, James Mitchell plays five or t five snaps, I think, that game, and then they figure out, oh, we can't play. And then Jermaine Waller starts against Syracuse, and then they figure out after four plays, oh, he can't play. Like, can't figure this out in pregame warm-ups or, or, or throughout the whole week. I mean, it just it just seems there just, just seems like either a disconnect or just bad decision making there. And, and then and and this is this is a this is a different issue uh, after the uh, was it the Richmond game where uh, James Mitchell got hurt? It Middle was. Tennessee. Yeah. Middle Tennessee. Middle yes. Tennessee. And then and then Fuente says right after the game, uh, you know he'll he'll probably be fine. Um, that's different from not because it's because it's right after the game and yes you don't know but in that situation you say we're not sure we're going to take a closer you hear coaches say it all the time. Oh, we don't know. We'll have to take a closer look at him in the scan, and, you know, yeah. and then we'll find and, out. And normally, Fuente being so guarded about injuries, you would think he would say something right. like that rather than, oh, yeah, he's fine. And unfortunately, <laughs> it just makes you look bad when you say that, and yeah. then two days later, he's out for the season. But, but, you know, he's telling 
I assume in that situation he was telling the media what the medical staff told him. Um, and look, look, this which the medical staff shouldn't have told him. Right, that, right, right, and and so and this isn't. This isn't just a Justin Fuente era thing. I mean, I remember towards the end of the Beamer era, you know, mistakes being made. Like, I remember the, you know, J.C. Coleman missed the Alabama game in 2013 with, like, two sprained ankles. And then they played him the next week against Western Carolina in a game where they didn't need him to play. Just let him get healthy. You're talking about two sprained ankles, yeah. right? And, of course, he got re-hurt in that game and missed, like, the next three or four weeks. And he was not healthy till the end of the year. Right, right. And so that meant... Uh, Trey Edmonds had to carry the load all by himself, which means he got hurt and was ineffective. So for a while that year, like Virginia Tech had Trey Edmonds and J.C. Coleman both completely ineffective, which left it all on the shoulders of Logan Thomas and a bunch of receivers who weren't FBS caliber players, quite frankly. So, you know, those decisions, they... They build on themselves, man. So this is it's not this is not just a Justin Fuente thing. And I, I've said, and I'm not blaming any individual or anything like that. But I, I think in the off season, like the, like there needs to be a thorough, thorough evaluation of Virginia Tech's entire medical process. I mean, I, for me, the the it's been building up for almost a decade now, where I think I've seen some issues in there. Yeah, but I, but I don't know I don't know enough about it to say oh it's this guy's fault or that guy's fault or anything like that. But I I think they need somebody in there who can evaluate things like that and uh, and and make decisions and, and figure out if there actually are issues. But from the outside looking in, it seems like there are issues. So before we uh, move on, speaking of Logan Thomas and those receivers, <laughs> I just I just listed twenty one games where Tech had bad offensive performances and, and won one of them. The next one they won was December 28th, 2012, 196 yards Rutgers. against Rutgers in the bowl game. And Virginia Tech won that. <laughs> that was a to t- 10 to nothing going into the fourth quarter. And, yeah. uh, like, that was actually, that one actually might be the most boring game. In, in, that game was. Like, wow. it, it was it was more boring than the zero to zero Wake, Wake Forest. Forest. <laughs> yes, but, like, like because like absolutely nothing happened. But Virginia Tech won because Logan Thomas dropped a dime of a touchdown pass late in the game. I remember just beautiful pass, and you're like, "Where's that been all game, <laughs> all season, all your career?" Well, we made it through the tough stuff, the hokey struggles against Boston College on Friday night, and we are going to get into hoops in a second. And I believe Nick actually has some basketball stuff, so let's send it over to our fourth chair. Well, before I get started, we got to shout out our man, Scott Glessner. Um, <laughs> there's some not-so-good stats, and there are some good stats. I'm going to start with the good. The last five times Virginia Tech has scored less than seven points, they've averaged 33.4 points the following week. That's bizarre. That is very interesting. Well, Duke is coming up. Tech plays Duke on Saturday, so <laughs> maybe a chance to keep that trend uh, going. The over-under. <laughs> All right, Scott Gluster again. Beamer was outscored in three seasons in his career, 87-88-92. Fuente is currently at three from 2018-2020, and now 2021. This season is 195-196 to 196 oh, scoring-wise. Wow. So it's getting, it's getting close. And the uh, the last stat, the worst stat, VT has only scored 195 points in the first nine games. That is the lowest in the first nine games since 1989. 1989. Sounds about right. Yeah. Wow. Oh, that and that Clemson right. game was Beamer's first game. 
Oh, well, against very number first one, and number twelve. They scored well, sixty-seven. Job, they had sixty-seven <laughs> yards and scored points. ten points. <laughs> right, sixty-seven yards and scored ten points. It'd be interesting to pull that. Uh, actually, I think I can do that. The game one. Um, so that was number ten Clemson at the time. Right. Let's a, hit that. So, so, a start to a tenure. so Chris Kinzer had a forty-eight yard field goal, and oh, John Jeffries had a ninety-two yard kickoff return, and that's how there they got go. their ten points. So no yards right there. So they had more. They had more. Yards on one kickoff return than they had <laughs> no, no offensive yards. <laughs> oh, my gosh. It, this is a nightmare to look at. It's like, am I looking at stats for Virginia Tech's first possession? So let's, a, let's everyone day? remember here, like, this is not the first time offense has been a problem. Yeah. <laughs> that is correct. Well, uh, 195 points in a season so far, they've scored 10 points combined between the Pitt and BC games. So, so. Right. So what was it, 195? 156. 153 was the oh for the yeah for combined score, so, yeah. so that just shows you like what a 50 50 crapshoot kind of every game is this yeah. year for tech well, and, and it again, comes down to things like turnovers and whether your quarterback gets hurt well and something weird happened this game like you mentioned every yeah. game R- random events <laughs> this time it's yeah. Braxton Bryce Braxton Bryce gets hurt you fumble an interception return and right. batted ball right a batted ball right for a first down <laughs> yeah. uh. Uh, this is the craziest stat uh, just surrounding the country that I noticed uh, this week. Teams at the AP poll ranked higher than the playoff committee this week went 10-2. and two, And teams that were ranked higher in the playoff committee than the AP poll went 9-6. and six. I saw a stat over the weekend, and I forget what it was. Um, it might have been like how many top 25 teams have lost this 42 year? have lost. Which, which is an NCAA record. Most really? of them. And we've still yep. got three games to go. Wow. So all that parody I always complain about. There is parody this year, apparently, except for Georgia. Georgia. Once you get <laughs> That's what we're talking about. Everybody. Georgia is the only great college football team this year. I mean, I, and is, I've actually never seen anything like their defense before. No. I have no idea how their defense is that good. Well, Jordan Davis incredible. is in the Heisman hunt, a defensive tackle. Wow. For all I know, he should probably win it. Yeah. I mean, just if he's the best player on that team. I don't usually watch SEC football, but I, I guess I need to watch more I, of Georgia. I, I would actually like to watch the Georgia, this year's Georgia defense versus the 2019 LSU offense. Mm-hmm. I think that could be re- that would be a really interesting matchup with uh, yeah. Joe Burrow. Well, and LSU almost beat Alabama this weekend in Tuscaloosa. I Alabama know, seemed to be the second best team, but – yeah, I mean, you, like LSU is not a good football team, so you, you feel like the number two team in the country should handle them pretty easily, but, but they couldn't do it. Yeah, I think LSU is four and five. I looked them up. They on are. Their, and, Twenty to fourteen was the final. LSU had the ball across midfield with two minutes left, and the offense just couldn't do anything. So everybody, you, I mean, everybody thinks, oh, Alabama and Georgia. You know, Alabama can maybe can give them a run for their money because it's Alabama, but it just doesn't look like they can. Mm-mm. I mean, well, just on paper, it doesn't look like anybody can touch Georgia. And, and Michigan State was three. They lose to Purdue. Oregon right. did beat Washington. Yeah, I watched so, some of that game, but it took them a while to, they, to get rolling. They, they didn't look dominant. But yeah, Ohio State no. at five almost lost to, to Nebraska, Nebraska, who's not good. And Cincinnati almost lost to Tulsa. So it does seem like Georgia's just going to run away. With I just see like the playoffs are going to be a bloodbath. Did you guys watch Wake Forest and UNC? I watched yes. the. Uh, it, I I turned it on like, honestly, just for like the last couple drives is the only bit I saw because I, I was uh, I was working on writing about the Virginia Tech game and 
Maybe I wish, wish I'd just watched the Wake UNC game instead. <laughs> I don't know. The, the Wake Forest <laughs> offense had been killing it for like a month, and then they just disappeared in the fourth quarter. I think they got outscored 24-0 yeah. in, in the fourth they quarter. They scored a late touchdown at the very end. Yeah, yeah, right, right. Yeah. So it was yeah. 24-7 in the fourth quarter. Yeah. I, I remember looking. I saw – I think it might have been during the Virginia Tech game. It came up on the bottom. It was Wake Forest UNC, and the total was 77 over-under. And I was like, man, 77 just seems high for any game. They scored 113 combined points yeah. in that game. Good so. gracious. Right, so so I, I would say somewhere mid third quarter, I was on the Dave Clawson train, and uh, <laughs> um, they have the hundred and fifth ranked total defense in the country. They get they give up, you know, what is the number? They give up four hundred thirty five yards a game, and and that's what cost them that game against against UNC was, you know, the the well, offense. Well, they did have those two key interceptions late, yeah, which handed UNC position well and it wasn't even sam howell it was uh ty chandler the running back who went off late he had a couple yeah. of late touchdowns uh to get unc back on top yeah my goodness there's a lot of acc teams in the bottom 25 in total defense <laughs> there's wake forest is 105 georgia tech is 112 uh virginia's 122 out of 130 by the way out of 130 duke is 127 Oof. yeah uh, I think I have a feeling there's a lot of ACC teams that are like in the bottom 25 of everything. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's fair. All right, now let's transition to basketball and lift our spirits a little bit. Yes, let's. Mike Young is 2-0 in opening games, and Virginia Tech has a long, long streak of winning the opening game. And the only time they've played Maine previously before, there's only one, uh, back in 2016, and ironically – that was a banner-hanging ceremony for the NIT tournament the previous season. So we'll have another banner-hanging kind of ceremony uh, tomorrow night. For the NCAAs. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's right. And uh, I'm trying to remember, I guess the last time they lost a season opener was that was when they lost to, was it Alabama State in Buzz's second year? I think so. Yeah, and we in Tech ended up winning 20 games that year and went to the NIT. Yeah, and this is the third season for Mike Young. Ironic, Buzz Williams' third season played Maine. Right. Black Bears. The feared Black Bears. So Virginia Tech has been to four straight NCAA tournaments, is that correct? Well, I mean, yes. But they wouldn't have have gone to the one with with COVID. But but yeah. But but the Virginia Tech women's team would have gone to that one. And they didn't get a chance to go. That's That's all you got? All right. Well, thank you, Nick, for that. And that gives us a good transition to hoops, and we're going to get to basketball. And the high hopes for this season's Virginia Tech men's basketball team after the break. We will come back. We'll talk about the the schedule coming up, especially the non-conference. Easy November, very tough December coming up for this Hokies team. We'll talk about the rotation, the ins, the outs, and how the Hokies can get a win against Maine tomorrow night. We'll take a break here on episode 206 of the Tech Sideline Podcast. Stay with us. We'll be right back. We welcome you back on episode 206 of the Tech Sideline Podcast. Our first episode of crossover season is men's basketball opens up their season tomorrow night from Castle Coliseum. We've already gone through Virginia Tech football's loss to Boston College back on Friday night. Again, we got our usual Monday crew on set. Will Stewart across the way, Chris Coleman to my left, Nick Brown in the fourth chair, Malcolm Stewart behind the scenes, and I'm Jake Lyman. As always, Tech Sideline Podcast brought to you by the Southeast Regional Training Center. And want to talk about a big commitment this morning, T.J. Stewart committing uh, to Virginia Tech Wrestling, continuing to grow that program that 
I believe they, they're ranked in the top 10 in all three uh, of the major polls preseason. That is correct. I saw a tweet from VT Wrestling Twitter, and, and I apologize. I'm not up to speed on Virginia Tech Wrestling at this point. But we do have off-camera Jack Brizendine sitting there, and he's going to. So they wrestled this past weekend. And, in in Roanoke? Salem, I believe. Salem, yes. I, I was busy on the message boards, <laughs> policing <laughs> the boards. So I don't know how well that went. But uh, Jack... Based on that and based on talking to Tony Roby, he's going to do a preview for us soon. What day have we got that slated for? He will have it to David by Thursday. Uh, I think they wrestle again on the 17th against Ohio State. 19th, I want to 19th. say. 19th. So they have so, they have two that two meets that weekend, uh, both at Castle, I believe, Ohio State and Gardner-Webb, I want to say, are the two yeah. teams. So, yeah. so definitely. Do you, know, do you know off the top of your head where Ohio State's ranked? Top five. I, I know that was a big win when they uh, – think They went like, up to Columbus and beat them. Was that last year or – That was 2019. Yeah. I, I remember, man, Ohio State's just got a, a great facility for wrestling. It's I think it's a combination wrestling-volleyball facility, you know, built for that specific purpose, yeah. you know, and very, very cool facility. Well, that, that was a great start to that season, I believe. They beat Ohio State and then – was it Northwestern, the Matt on the Mound? Uh, yeah, when they beat, wrestled so. out at the uh, baseball stadium. They're not doing that again this year. Uh, I believe they are wrestling at Moss Art Center. I don't, I'm not sure which meet that is. The thing is, is like, it's actually going to be warm this week. Be, it is. It would be yeah. perfect to do yeah. Ohio State, Matt on the Mound. Or actually, that's next the Friday. Yeah, weekend, so, yeah. Um, uh, speaking of which, do we know the weather forecast for Saturday? Yeah, for well, yeah, it's going to be in the 60s all week, and as soon as Saturday gets here, it's going to be like 45. <laughs> I think it's high of, high of <laughs> yes. 50 on Saturday. As long as it doesn't rain. So, uh, yeah, I don't think it's not supposed, to rain, supposed to rain on Saturday. Mm-hmm. Although, if you were ever going to have a Friday night game, like I, I wish this was the Friday yeah, night game. <laughs> so, so, so anyway, back to wrestling. Uh, the the uh, I believe that Stewart is ranked 19th across all weight classes in the country, I think. Again, I haven't had a chance to do my research. It's a big commitment, and donations to the Southeast Regional Training Center help Virginia Tech Wrestling recruit better. Yes, helps them bring in those mentors like James Green came in a few years ago, and and, uh, I believe he was a big part. I think Ty Walls is on staff there. Ty Walls as well. And uh, and some other guys. So definitely go to southeastrtc.com. You can keep help bringing these great recruits to the wrestling program. Wrestling again start their season next week, and Virginia Tech men's basketball starts their season tomorrow night. A lot of high hopes for this team this season. Unranked, but receiving votes would be ranked 30th in the AP poll. Projected 5th in the ACC, receiving 5 first place votes. So definitely a lot of expectations for this team, and rightfully so. A lot of returning players and a lot of experience on yeah, this team. Yeah, well, I mean, they recruit top 10 every year, basically. And their preseason top ten just about every year. So, yeah, so they're one of the top ten programs in the country. Wait a minute, who are we talking about? I'm talking men's basketball. Oh, we switched, oh to basketball. Yes. we switched to basketball. Oh, we switched to basketball. You are not was, wrong. Uh, yeah, but uh, <laughs> he's correct though. Hey, uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, expectations are high for men's basketball as well, mm-hmm. and I'm really glad that basketball season is starting just to give us all something to talk about. Because I know there's not going to be like a great, great need to break down these last few Virginia Tech football games. Right. Like, like 10 years from now, we're not going to even remember what happened. So, and, and, and let's be clear about something. People are like, oh, y'all must be hearing a lot about the coaching stuff. No, we are not. There no. is no information out there about the coaching search in air quotes. <laughs> Witt does not employ a coach search form uh, firm generally because 
that's more likely when you have leaks and things like that. So, he likes to be ninja wit. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, remember with Jim Weaver, the self-appointed committee of one. Right. Well, that that's wit when it comes to coaching searches too. So. Uh, anyway. Anyway, <laughs> on to basketball. Uh, very, very excited to, uh, for two reasons. Number one, they're going to be good. Number two. Um, I'm going to enjoy seeing what a Mike Young team looks like that is completely filled with Mike Young players. Like every single player on this team was recruited by Mike Young as a specific fit for his system. Yeah. So I'm, I'm very excited to see what that looks like. And, and you know, of course, number three to give us all uh, something to talk about. Um, and it's also I'm excited because, you know, maybe not so much the first few games, but – it's a challenging non-conference schedule. Like some of the some of those years in the past, particularly under Greenberg, you had to, you didn't know how good you were until late January, after you had a full month of ACC games, and even with Buzz to to a certain extent. And they would very often play like thirteen games before they got in the ACC schedule, and right. most of them were just ridiculous, like five games in a row in Castle against lousy teams. Right, right. Yeah. And, and this is this is. I mean, I wrote an article. A month or so ago, uh, it was it was I think it was called a schedule made for Selection Sunday, and that's what this non-conference schedule is. Uh-huh. And, and and you know they're going to start off at Maine, but they're going to get a good road test the next game at Navy. Navy went fifteen and three last year. It's a game Virginia Tech most likely will win, but and it's going to get them extra points though, as far as you know the the, the tiers because yeah. it's going to be on the road, you know, and and that that maybe that's worth one seed. Come selection Sunday, yeah, maybe that gets it. Virginia Tech off the eight nine line or something like that. You never know. Um, so uh, I, I'm excited for a lot of those reasons. Like I, I think we'll know exactly how good we are by the time ACC schedule starts, as as opposed to you know waiting to four or five. You know, get into the meat of the ACC schedule. I, we're going to know exactly how good this team is by the end of December. Well, I went through uh, this morning actually, and I looked at the schedule between. November 24th, which is when the Hokies will open the preseason NIT tip-off against Memphis, and December 29th when the Hokies play North Carolina at in Chapel Hill. Mm-hmm. They will play Memphis, who is the 16th-ranked team in Ken Palm preseason. Maybe Xavier, who's 26th, if things sort out the right way. Maryland is 18th. Dayton is 84th. St. Bonaventure 30th. Duke 10th. UNC 40th. All within about a month. So, yeah. like and you said, all of those games are either on neutral sites or on the road. So you win two or three of those games, and then you, you got your quad one. You got some quad, quad wins. one wins. Yeah, I think good, Tech yeah. only had three quad one wins all of last year. I mean, Tech could have that many by the end of December. Maybe even more by the end, end, end of December. And there will be a lot of visibility built in the, that early schedule. The, the Navy game is going to be on CBS Sports Network. Mary Mac's going to be on RSN. Don't get me started on RSN. Oh, God. I mean, <laughs> I guess I'll have to – oh, no, that'll be at home. St. Francis uh, is going to be on the ACC network. Memphis, ESPN2, and I assume the second game will be ESPN, on ESPN, ESPN2. Yeah, and then uh, Maryland's going to be on ESPN or ESPN2. Wake and Cornell on the ACC network. St. Bonaventure, ESPN2. Duke, ESPN2. North Carolina, ESPN2. And this is all before January. Mm-hmm. So it's very cool. Yeah, all before the ACC schedule really gets rolling. Duke and UNC in that UN, uh, that ACC schedule. Tech also gets Wake Forest at home uh, at the very beginning of December. So uh, that's another game in there that w- Wake Forest maybe not as good as some of these other teams on here. But they'll, another... be, they'll be better than they were the last couple of years, most likely. Um, and, you know, it gives you an opportunity to face an ACC team and probably start out 1-0. Um, so it's one of those schedules, man, where – 
you always try to strike the happy balance as a basketball coach where you you expect to go to the NCAA tournament and you want to schedule to try to get yourself the highest seed possible, but you don't want to overschedule and turn an NCAA tournament team into the number one seed in the NIT. Yes. Right. So there's all it's all about striking that balance. But I, I think you know, boring like an injury to a key player, like either like Keve Aluma or Storm Murphy. Uh, I, I think Mike Young's on the right side of that. Well, the Hokies do get a few tune-up games early, including Maine tomorrow night in Castle Coliseum. Uh, on Kempom, Maine, 333rd out of 356, right. and their offense is 352nd. So, yeah. uh, again, this is just projections from Kempom, but obviously Maine, uh, by Kempom standards, the worst team the Hokies will play this season. Yeah. So, uh, hopefully a good start for Virginia Tech. And we look at this team – he, Mike Young said it's the first time he's ever had a team where they can shoot one through five. Mm-hmm. Storm Murphy, Hunter Couture, Naheem Aline, Justin Mutz, and Keve Aluma. Pretty solid starting five for Virginia Tech. Yeah, right I there. really think so, particularly from a shooting standpoint. And now their knowledge of the offense. The, I mean, I know Storm Murphy's new, but he's not new to the Mike Young system. Yeah. So that that should he'll fit right in there easily. There, there's going to be no transition period for him. Um Last year, I mean, it was amazing. I thought Virginia Tech was a good offensive team basketball last year, despite the fact that they they went the majority of games with only three shooters on the court. Yeah, yeah they started uh, Tyrese Radford and, and, and Wabisa Beatty. And, and, and Radford improved his shooting last year, but he was never one of those guys that was going to knock down you know two or three a game for you. It was yeah, going to be like one or two a week. Yeah, <laughs> well, and, he, and he brought a different skill set yes. to the offense, which was valuable, but – yeah, I'm 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 pretty jacked to see five guys that can move and pass and shoot what right. Mike Young can do. With yeah, him. exactly. Um, I I think that part's exciting. Uh, David Gasson has apparently had a really really impressive offseason. Enough for Virginia Tech social media account to make a video of him, you know, drilling three pointers, which is exciting because he's a six nine and if he can be that stretch, is he four, a four? Yes. Is that, is that where he can okay. play the five, but it's not ideal. And Mutz is more of a three, maybe. No, Mutz is a four. Okay, definite four, all the way. Will Gasson ever wind up at the three? Gasson is more to me. Gasson is actually more likely to play the three than Mutz. Okay, I, I think I do. I think long term he has a more balanced skill set. Even though you know he's taller, I think he might have a better handle for a three. Okay. Uh, but I, I think they're both ideal fours. I think if either one of them would have to play the three this year. It would be because of an injury, uh, I think. Uh, you know, some of that might be dependent on matchup. Maybe when you play UNC and you know they throw all those tall dudes out there, you could put Gasson at three for defensive purposes or something right. like that. But it would be matchup dependent. But I, I really think it's going to be uh, he'll spend the vast, vast majority of his time at the four. So let's sorry to hijack the the, the podcast, but I'm, I'm who's, so who's the starting lineup here? You've got Storm Murphy at point guard. Mm-hmm. Nahimaline at shooting guard. Uh, him or, and Couture at wing. Just they're interchangeable. Right. Yeah. Two and three. So so they'll they'll both start mm-hmm. and, and play those wing positions. And then you've got uh Mutz at the four and Aluma at the five. Mm-hmm. Okay. With and you know and Gasson, I would guess right now, first guy off the bench. Mm-hmm. Um so so there there's some you know, the the bigger question this year is depth. You don't have a full complement of scholarship players. Um what is your depth on the wing going to be like? I think will be the bigger question for this team than anything else. I, I think they'll be, I think they'll be fine on, in the post. I think they'll be fine at point guard because you got three guys who could run the point. You got Storm Murphy, um, Hunter Couture, 
did it last year, and you got Sean Padula, who's a freshman. Yeah. yeah, so I think you've got plenty of point guards. Um, you can't afford an injury on the wing, in my opinion. Uh, you'll have Darius Maddox co- coming off the bench that can play either either one of those spots. You can play Storm Murphy and and Padula together if you wanted to, but it's not ideal. You look at, at the paint, there's so much depth at the four and the five. Lynn Kidd, John Ogiaco, David Gasson, uh, Jalen Haynes, the freshman, mm-hmm. could get some minutes there, all behind Mutz and Aluma. But like you mentioned, on the wing, it feels like it's really just Couture, Aline, Maddox. Mm-hmm. So uh, they're going to have to maybe manufacture some depth there, like you said, maybe play Storm Murphy at the two or move Gasson up to the three. Yeah, and you got to find a way. you got to stay out of foul trouble with those two spots um, because – I mean, if Hunter Couture picks up two fouls in the first, you know, five minutes of the game, then you're playing 15 straight minutes with Naheem Aline and Darius Maddox in there with no substitutions. You don't have anybody else unless you wanted to play two point guards, yeah, which isn't ideal, or unless you wanted to put Gasson at the three, which maybe he can do some, but I still don't think it's ideal. Um, Mike Young's seen him play, and I haven't, so we'll find out. Um, so that that's the biggest concern for this team, All, and also I will say – defensively yep. like like uh you know one of the questions i had about the mike young hire is his defenses at wadford never ranked highly in defensive efficiency like his o- offenses were always good but a lot of the defensive efficiency ranks when he was at wadford were bad so when he got to virginia tech he hired chester frazier who was a tremendous defensive coach he came up in the in the illinois program when it was at its best from a defensive standpoint. He actually played for that Illinois team that Virginia Tech beat in the NCAA tournament in 2007. Um, so he, he came up as a defensive-minded coach, and I, and I thought for all intents and purposes maybe like served as maybe a defensive coordinator type for the Hokies for the last couple of years. Now he's gone. He went back to Illinois, his alma mater, as their top assistant. He, uh, you know, he wants to be a head coach one day and wants to have as much on his resume as possible. Um, so how is Virginia Tech going to be defensively this year without Chester Frazier and without Wabisa Beatty, who was a tremendous defensive point guard, and Tyrese Radford, who was a very good defensive They're two guard. best perimeter right, defenders. Right, exactly. So I, I have no, no question in my mind that the offensive stats and offensive efficiency ratings and things like that, they're going to spike this year because right. this is an ideal Mike Young team. What are they going to be defensively? Are, are they going to stay the same, or are they going, are they going to get worse? I don't know that they're. I don't know they can get better, to be honest with you, um, because I just think that that's a lot of defensive loss in, in one off season. Yeah, and I'm not saying this is going to make up for it. I, I think the defensive efficiency, efficiency will drop. But uh, was it uh, Mutz that was bragging on? He's been working on his defense. Oh, he, his goal this year is to be an all conference, all, all defensive team. Yeah, man, or, or defensive player of the year in the conference or something like that. But, yes, he's, he's really, really focused on his defense. Yeah. And, and Aluma last year, you know, Virginia Tech was a pretty good shot-blocking team last year. Yes. So uh, it's possible that, you know, just with some shot blockers on the inside, you can erase whatever perimeter defensive issues might you might have as far as getting beat off the dribble or anything like that. Yeah, and, and Aluma's not a classic uh, get right in front of you and block the shot in your face. No, more he, of a... He's that guy that comes from across the defense. He comes from behind. He's really good at that. And Mutz and Aluma down low could be much better defensively in the paint than mm-hmm. we saw a year ago if they continue to develop. But again, that the question is on the outside. A lot has been made about the Storm Murphy addition and how much he brings offensively in contrast with Wubi Sabidi, who really was, he would dribble across half court and pass it and, right. and kind of get out of the way. 
does the offensive addition kind of offset some of the defensive oh, losses? Well? Absolutely. Um, you know, I, I think the the thing, main thing Tech will miss with Radford is is on the offensive end at least is those junkyard dog points. Yep. Um, I, you don't know exactly where those will come from this year. And, and they but also the, didn't have a lot of guys that could go coast to coast with a rebound, and he could do it. Yeah, yeah, yes. you're, you're exactly right. So, uh, but I, I think those two things offensively will be more than offset by having just having a team full of Mike Young style players that are fit for his offense. Yeah. That's more important than anything when you run a system offense, and, th- and this is going to be a system program. This is not going to be a a talent program. Under 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 Mike Williams, yes, you or Mike Williams. Um, <laughs> why don't I call him Mike Williams? Uh, there's too many Mikes, man. There's Mike Mike Young and Mike, Mike Jones. Jones. Gosh, so I'm just <laughs> now I'm making up Mikes. I don't even know who Mike Williams I don't, is. I don't. Mike either. Williams is a wide receiver for the Los Angeles Chargers. Still, yes. Okay, okay. There's been a couple of Mike Williams wide receivers through the years. Anyway, when I was at Tech, I was friends with a girl who dated a Tech baseball player named Mike Williams. Wow, a lot of Mike so, Williams. There we go. <laughs> well, just so many Mikes. Um, at any rate, uh, this is always going to be a system program and a system offense uh, under Mike Young. And, and yes, you expect as you win, the recruiting rankings will get better. But the most important thing is system fit, and it always will. System fit and player development. And so far, you know what uh, the two years of evidence we have right now is he's been outstanding as far as those two things go. And I want to look at the wings as well with Couture and Aline out there. It seems like I always noticed this throughout all of last season. Neither of them, they couldn't both have a great game. It seemed like when, when Aline got 25 points, Couture would go 0 for 4 and have two points. And, pick, uh, and, and then pick up two charges. And then, yeah, he, well, he always had a charge. That uh, Covering Virginia Tech basketball, I like to do the uh, Hunter Couture charge alert on Twitter. Oh, David, David Cunningham, Cunningham tracks it all. He keeps track of that He stuff. does. That's uh, actually, now that it's done, I can tell the truth. That's the biggest reason we hired David Cunningham <laughs> was to track Hunter Couture's charges. The, the Excel spreadsheets for David Cunningham. Uh, well, but it seemed like the opposite. Hunter Couture would go six of six from three in one game, and Naheem Aline would do almost nothing. Right. Can those two guys kind of both put it together and be more consistent than they have been their first two seasons? Probably. Entering their third year in the program, uh, third year in the offense, third year playing together. You would expect that to happen. Yeah. Now, the thing about Mike Young's offense is they're slower and more methodical. They, they they use a lot of shot clock. Like when you look at the tempo standings, like UVA is going to be last or almost last Close every year in tempo. Virginia Tech's not going to be that far ahead of them. Wasn't um, Tech rough, roughly at if, if you do a scale of zero to a hundred, where hundreds is the slowest? Wasn't Tech right around ninety, somewhere around in there? Probably. I can't remember what. Uh, yeah, probably. Yeah. I want to say in tempo they ranked like. 270th or 280th out of Drew Scott put it in his article yeah, the he other did, day, he did. I think. So. But they're a very slow-tempo team. So there is a limited amount of possessions in a Virginia Tech game. So that means if both of those guys are on, then you're going to really use those possessions at max efficiency. But if one of those two guys is off, you know, you, you might have a limited game offensively. But there's, there's enough offensive weapons on this team. Like this year, Virginia Tech is very, very capable of putting five starters on the court Every single one of them is capable of scoring in double figures. I mean, there will be games this year, and I'm not saying it, it will happen against you know the best competition in Tech's face. There will be some games this year where all five of Tech's starters score in double figures, in my opinion. You are you're roughly correct. Uh, in possessions per game, Virginia Tech was number 273 in the country. Okay. Yeah. So Virginia Tech, we mentioned – not a lot of depth on the wing. I want to talk about Darius Maddox. He's kind of been put in, in a tough spot here. His second year, 
He sees Joe Bamisil transfer, Jalen Cohn transfer, and now yeah. he's kind of in a spot where he has to step up or else the Hokies pretty much have nobody else out there. Good development track for Darius Maddox, <clears throat> I think. You know, wasn't asked to play a ton as a freshman. I do remember him getting into a game like last December, and it was a home game, but it was on one of those RSN networks that I can't get at home, so I had to go to <laughs> Champs to watch, and I was the only person in the entire mm-hmm. bar. It was uh-huh. great, great game-watching experience. <laughs> but I remember they brought him into that game late, and he, he drilled three three-pointers in a row. Really? And I think he mm-hmm. went – I do remember he that. Made, I, think, I think he made – was like three or four or three or five for the season, and he made all three of them in that game. And they were all <laughs> within like a minute or two of each other. So, like, I do think he seems seems to be a good shooter. That's a very, very small sample size. But I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't think he'd have the green light like that, or I don't think he would have been recruited to Virginia Tech as a guard unless Mike Young knew he could shoot the ball. So uh, – I, I would envision him being uh, being a guy off the bench who can make outside jumpers for Virginia Tech. But yeah, he's gonna he's gonna be a guy who's gonna have to get you, you know, fifteen a game, fifteen to twenty a game, you know, depending on the night. Maybe more than that if there's foul trouble. So uh, he's gonna be a va- very valuable player for Tech this year. I mean, he was three of seven. Three of seven. Well, yeah. they all three came all in three, that All three happened in that one yeah. game. All in a row, too. Yep. Uh, we mentioned the depth down low as well. Talked about David Gasson. I want to talk Lynn Kidd and John Ogiaco. Mm-hmm. Lynn Kidd, a highly recruited guy, transferred from Clemson this year. And then John Ogiaco, there was a lot of hype around him. You see him on the court last year, and he just looked like a different person. So much more, uh, so much bigger, and but still lacking it, some of the... Uh, yeah. intricacies of still playing it, basketball. It was tough because he was hurt. And also last year, COVID shut down their offseason conditioning and, and skills work. Like, you know, but before the before a regular practice starts, you know, you had, like you're allowed a certain amount of time with, with the coaches every week as a player to develop individual skills. And that time was taken mm-hmm. away from them last year. And plus he was hurt. So he wasn't in great shape last year, and he was not afforded. I mean, he needs that kind of work. He's a raw player. That's the type of work he needs in the offseason. Yeah. Fortunately, he's been able to have that work this year, so I think he'll be a better player for the Hokies. Um, it'll be interesting to see how they use him and they use Lynn Kidd because I think Ojiako – excuse me, let's talk about Lynn Kidd. Lynn Kidd has a reputation of being a pretty advanced offensive player for his age, but well behind the curve defensively. So – how do you balance that if you're Mike Young? One of your backup centers is better at offense and the other is better at defense. And how, how do you divide up that playing time in maybe the 10 minutes a game where you're not going to have Kevin Alumo on the court? Yeah. So let's. Uh, th- this is part of the discussion we're leaving out. Uh, Ojiako at this point is a junior, listed as a junior, 6'10", 245. Lynn Kidd is listed as a sophomore, 6'10", 240. So we're talking – so let's remember – always remember what class are these guys and how big yes. are they. Right. And, yeah. Yes, yes. And appreciate you saying that because I couldn't remember if Kid was better offensively or defensively. I can't remember his story. Wasn't he a pretty highly rated recruit coming out of uh, uh, 100-ish yes. probably? Yeah, yeah. yeah, I mean, you know what you have to remember, you can't compare football recruiting to basketball recruiting because there's 85 scholarship players yeah. on, on a football team <clears throat> and just 13 on a basketball team. So really like the number 100 player in the country for – for basketball would be like the number six or seven hundred player in yeah. the country for football. Yeah. It yes. sounds good. It sounds but, good, yeah. but what really what it is for it's like a basically a maybe not. I don't know a three and a half star recruit, three point three star recruit. If if you broke stars down into yeah. into decimal points and everything, but uh, they still give them four stars for basketball. But the football equivalent to that would would be a three star recruit. Yeah. 
Well, yeah, in basketball, <clears throat> it seems like there's maybe four or five star recruits every single year, and then yeah. rest are high four stars, low four stars. There's a, a lot less uh, of the, a contrast. I, I've always said that you know there were too many four star recruits in football, and I, I also think there are too many in basketball simply because like people compare it to football and and that's a mistake to compare it to football because it's not the same thing uh so we've talked about the outside i want to talk about justin mutz and kevin aluma i think that is the strength of virginia tech's team those two guys down in the paint aluma he was named as a, a first team all acc team was second in acc player of the year voting mm-hmm. and justin mutz seemed to be coming along later in the, on in the season these two guys down low could be the, the strength of the Hokies team. And, and they're versatile players. They can beat you from the inside or they can beat you in the, from the outside. And this is what I talk about player development, Mike Young, and this is where he seems to be outstanding. Is, you know, Kev Aluma, before he enrolled at Virginia Tech, was 0 of 1 for his career from three-point range. <laughs> and then he goes out there last year and shoots about 35%, right? And then Justin Mutz, I think, was like 2 of 18 for his career from three-point range. Before I think it was 2 of 19. 2 of 19. <laughs> okay. 2 of 19 from his career from three-point range before he got to Virginia Tech. And then last year he comes out there and drills him, what, a 33% clip or something right. like that. So just the shooting development of these guys. And that's why I'm op- optimistic about Gasson this year. Like if he follows that same player development path as the other two bigs in the program, I actually think he has like more natural ability as a shooter than those other two guys. So I think the ceiling is quite high there. So I'm extremely excited about what I've seen from the development of those big guys with their shooting. And then you saw Mutz in the NCAA tournament, like when he went off against Florida, uh, it was against Florida yes. and uh, he was making three pointers. And then at one point in that game, the the Florida defender was like, man, I really got to close down on him strong. And then Mutz just put him on the floor, went right by him and threw down that just massive dunk. dunk. Yeah, yeah, I mean, just when he's on, man, he is a really, really hard player to guard. This could be the most exciting team that we've seen for Virginia Tech men's basketball in a while. Everybody can shoot. You've got Mutz and Aluma who can make plays in the paint on both ends of the floor. Mm-hmm. It seems like this is going to be, at the very least, a very fun team to it's watch. Gonna be, it's it's going to be different, though. You know, when, when you talk about exciting basketball teams, you, you tend to think guys running up and down the floor and, and all that kind of stuff. This is, I, I predict that if this when this team is operating at peak efficiency, you're going to see the ball come down to the offensive end and a bunch of passes go like this and then an open shot. Yeah. And then the next time down the floor and the next time down the floor. And and that's just as much fun to watch. If you're a basketball fan, that's as much fun to watch as a dog. No, no. Virginia Tech fans. All right. So you got to got to remember how like during the Buzz Williams era. Virginia Tech fans would make fun of UVA for running that slow pace and boring <laughs> offense and everything like that. This is team is going to be more similar to a UVA team than that run and gun Buzz right. Williams team. Yeah. Like this team is not going to have the ability in the full court in transition. Is is I mean that Buzz Williams teams had two players who were currently in in the NBA. J Rob had eleven points the other night for the Bucks in nice. over twenty minutes, you know? Nice. And Nikhil starts for the Pelicans. And Ahmed Hill is like he's a G League. He's been a G League guy. He's a pro player. Yeah. I mean, that, that, that team was awesome in transition with a lot of great athletes. And they could also run a half-court offense because they had an NBA point guard and an NBA shooting guard. <laughs> but this team is going to be different. They're not going to crush you in transition, particularly now that there's no Tyrese Radford. But they are going to be extreme, extremely methodical and efficient in the half-court. And if you like that type of basketball, you're really going to like this team. I'm looking forward to seeing what Storm Murphy can do in transition. I mean, I, and we know that he can run the offense in the half-court. but And I'm not saying he's going to be Tyrese Radford going coast-to-coast. Right. Coast, but I'll be interested to see what he can do. 
the addition of Storm Murphy definitely raised expectations for Virginia Tech this year. I went through and looked at some of the preseason projections. Joe Lunardi, his first bracketology, this was put out two months ago, uh, has the Hokies as a nine seed again this year, playing but, LSU nope, in the first nope. round. That's our perennial spot in the NCAA nope. tournament. A nine it's going to be higher than that. It should. Yeah, I, I think it has the potential to be higher. My, like I said earlier, my only concern is maybe we overscheduled a little bit. Like yeah. I'm, I'm afraid. That, that's that's my only concern. This is a definite NCAA tournament team, in my opinion. I, definite. I, I think the and, most. Go ahead. And I worry that like they're only going to end up with like twenty wins. And or something like that instead of twenty two or twenty three, and they're going to end up on that eight nine, eight, nine, nine, nine. But again, it's a tough it's a tough act to balance. But hey, look, man, if Virginia Tech is has like three or four quadrant one wins by the end of December, then I don't think we're going to have to worry about that because then they've still got a bunch more the ACC games ACC to pick schedule. up even more. You know, they could end up with like you know seven or eight quadrant one wins this year, and in that in that scenario, they would not be on the eight nine line. Most ACC road wins would be considered quadrant right, one. Right. So, so back to back to talking about the schedule. A couple of things: the the out of conference schedule. I, I think that Memphis game is extremely intriguing because number one, they got Landers Nolly playing yes. for them. Number two, you know that Penny Hardaway can recruit. They got some great players on that team. I believe they just signed another top five guy about a month ago. You know what? They yeah. got seventeen of them now. You know <laughs> they, they're recruiting very well. So you're going to see. Not only is there the Landers Nolly subplot, but you're going to see. Mike Young's coaching acumen against Penny Hardaway's recruiting acumen. Yes, this uh, is the whole coaching slash player development versus recruiting pure talent. Right. Yeah, it's going to be real interesting to watch. Right. And then uh, I, I would have to pull up the schedule to get this stuff exactly right. But um, the ACC schedule makers are actually sending Virginia Tech to Duke and North Carolina during Christmas break. Yes. And I think they're playing at UVA, maybe even during that whole Christmas break. Mm -hmm. I think so they they're are. not sending great opponents into Castle while the students are on Christmas break, which I think is fantastic. Tech only plays Duke once, and that is December 22nd, I believe, uh, at, at Cameron. Right, and there's a three-game stretch either in late January or February. It's in February. That where there's three, what, three games in six days in Blacksburg against high-profile teams. So it's uh, December – or excuse me, February 12th, Virginia Tech plays – Syracuse or North Carolina? So, so I do have it in, in front of me. Syracuse. That's Syrac on my birthday. Syracuse on the 12th, <laughs> UVA on the 14th, 14th, and then North Carolina on the, on the 19th. 19th. Right. That's and, and the UVA game is a big Monday game. Yes. Right? Wow. So that's going to be one heck of a week. And, yes. All and the students Castle. are going to be there. It's oh, not man. like like in the past where you'd say like, oh, number four UVA is coming to town on January 5th. Thanks right. for that, right? So, think, so they're at Duke on December 22nd, at North Carolina on December 29th, at Virginia on January 12th, and believe it or not, the students are maybe... Virginia Tech's uh, winter break ends the 17th, I believe. So as long well, as UVA is on that same... Now, the home games during that stretch are Pittsburgh and NC State, and Notre Dame on January 15th. Uh, Notre Dame... They haven't been so good not, recently. Not I'm not sure well, how and, good and, they're going to be And Notre Dame year. on the 15th, some students will be back in Blacksburg right. at that point. That's the Saturday before classes start again. Right. So really, it's, uh, I believe... On New Year's Day, Tech plays Pitt, mm -hmm. and then the fourth Tech plays NC, NC State. State. So those are really the mm -hmm. only two games in Castle that won't have a full student section. Which We've, is great. So so we're used to complaining about them sending really good teams into Castle during Christmas break, and they're not this year. UVA's Christmas break ends January 19th. There okay. we go. So, so they will that not game, have That game again back. is January 12th. A week before that. Yeah. Duke is the uh, the 
highest rated team in Ken Palm that Virginia Tech currently has on their schedule. They are 10th. Hokies again play them three days before Christmas in Cameron Indoor. So that's probably the best you're going to get Duke. Probably not a ton of Cameron crazy is going to be there. And I wish Tech got them at home this year. But if you're, if you're going to play them on the road, that's the time to do it. But tell me like the last time, last season where Duke hasn't been overrated. Like the Zion, well, they they went they to the Elite Eight that they year. They went to the Elite Eight, right? Yeah. They should have they the, should they should have done better. That, like, when's the last time they actually played to their talent level? Can't think of it. Uh, it's, all, it's all these rankings, all these rankings are because are because of the name of their head coach. <clears throat> not not anymore after but, but, this year. But, but, it's gonna be interesting see next year. Yeah, yeah. Coach yeah. K's farewell tour. That's the only stop the Hokies have again, December twenty second. By the um, way. The ticket price, the lowest for Cameron that game is four seventy five. Really, four seventy five, four hundred and seventy five dollars. Yes, for Virginia Tech at Duke. Well, yeah, that's hard to get tickets no, to Duke for the whole. It is, it's well, especially for all right, this is Coach K's final year. Yeah, oh, I went okay. every seat's going to be at a home game. games. Even when they hosted the exhibition versus Winston Salem State, mm-hmm. the cheapest was in the three hundreds. Yeah. Yeah, that's how it's going to be at Duke. Wow, this year. interesting. So I do want to go through. We mentioned Joe, Joe Lunardi has the Hokies as nine seed as of now, but again, that was two months ago. Things could have changed in his uh, his model since then. John Rothstein, who we sleep in May, uh, he's the uh, <laughs> he is kind of the uh, the mascot for college basketball. I would he say really on is. Twitter, yeah. uh, he has the Hokies as one of his five dark horse Final Four contenders. Uh, so Rothstein is high on the Hokies. Hokies currently the 39th ranked team in Ken Palm. So. So, some hype growing around Virginia Tech, and again, with a tough schedule, there's a chance they can find themselves in that 4-5 line where they were uh, back uh, in and, 2018. And I, and I want to talk about expectations uh, for this year. And we're, we were going to get this question a lot. And I, I talked about it in last week's preview that I wrote. And I'm sure we'll get it as, as a question on the podcast today is, do you think Virginia Tech is a first-round team, second-round, Sweet 16, Elite 8, whatever? I think they're an NCAA tournament team, and I don't think you can make predictions past that because you don't know what the matchup is that they're going to get, you know, and you don't know what kind of luck is going to fall their way. Like, the year Virginia Tech was a four-seed, um, obviously they beat the 13-seed in the first round. That's a great matchup. But then Liberty, the number 12-seed, beat the number five seed Mississippi State that year. So Virginia Tech got to play the 12 seed instead of the five seed to make the Sweet 16. Um, Last year, if Virginia Tech had made one more shot and beaten Florida, they would have played 15 seed Oral Roberts in the second round and might have been a Sweet 16 team last year, in which case I think they'd be top 15 in the preseason this year in a lot of the polls. So that's that perception. You make one more shot and all of a sudden everybody has you much higher ranked the next year, based on perception, or Roberts did beat Florida. They did the beat Florida, but you know, uh, I, it's it's one of those things uh, where you just get there, get there, and see what the matchups are and what the seeding is and, and everything like that. I, I think Virginia Tech, depending on the matchups, has a chance to make a deep NCAA tournament run. But with the bad matchup and a bad shooting night, like I remember, remember when Mike Young's team got knocked out by Kentucky in the second round, yes. his last year at at. At Wofford, yeah. and it was such a close game. It might have even gone to overtime. But Fletcher McGee had, like, uncharacteristically the worst shooting game of his career. It's like one of eight or something. Right, right, right. I think he, right. he wasted all his shots against Seton Hall the, right, right, the two right. nights before. Right, So, like, uh, 
What if he just had your normal Fletcher McGee game? And, they're in, and that's nothing Fletcher, to do with Fletcher coaching. McGee is the all-time three-point shooting leader in NCAA history, correct? I don't know. Yes. Okay. yes. He broke it against Kentucky, ironically. And okay. he went one right. of eight. Right. So, so, and that has nothing to do with coach, coaching. That's just – Guy didn't hit his shots right, that He just didn't make his shots that day. Right. So, it's that's just the way basketball is. So, my expectations this year are to go to the NCAA tournament and uh, and then let the chips fall where they may. This is why you need to go every year. Yeah, man. You go every year, you'll eventually keep you'll eventually knock that door down. One year you lose to a sixteenth seed and the next year you, you win a national, national title. <laughs> yeah. Fans are not happy with us saying that right there. Um you mentioned going to the NCAA tournament. I want to take a step back. The ACC, it doesn't feel like there is a dominant team in the ACC this year. You I look at with Duke, it. and again, they're 10th in Ken Palm. They're going to be a highly rated team, but they always seem to underperform. Is this the best chance Virginia Tech has had to win the ACC yes. in a long time? So certainly uh, win the, win the regular so. season. Um, and Virginia Tech got first place votes. Five first place and I, votes. I think that's probably the first time they've gotten first place votes yeah even in buzz's best year i think they only got one first place right vote. right they, they were picked fifth in the acc but it was only with one first place okay vote. yeah so to me like the disparity in first place votes this year there, there's more teams getting first place votes yeah. and I, I and i again i think duke is getting picked first based on reputation and, and emotions of and Coach recruiting K's rankings they got some good players like coming in right um but like i said when's when's the last time you know the psalm equal the whole of the parts at duke been a while in my opinion so uh I, I i do think the acc is open this year i mean you saw luke hancock on the acc network pick virginia tech during the regular season and, and that's just not something that would have happened very often before i'm not saying they're going to do that right i don't think it's out of the realm of possibility but, uh, but they are pickable they're yes they uh, pickable i believe six teams receive first place votes this year in the acc which means it's basically a toss-up yeah. uh, Especially in a twenty-game ACC season. So, if, so if you have a team like Tech that plays where the the sum of the parts is the, the whole is greater than the sum of the parts, mm-hmm. then that's a team that can excel above what's expected of them. Whereas you take Duke and UNC, maybe they won't. I mean, UNC's got a whole new coaching staff, right? Uh, yeah, they do. So they're an unknown. Yeah. Yes. Like like we, we like we knew you know Roy Williams is a legendary coach or, or a Hall of Famer. Oh, how's this staff going to do? We don't know if they can coach or not. Right. We know they can recruit. Whoever coaches at UNC is going to be able to recruit, right? <laughs> <laughs> um, but to me, like I, I look at three three teams in this league, like Florida State, consistent, same team every year under Leonard Hamilton. Yes. Uh, UVA, consistent, same, same team, team every team. year basically under yeah. Tony Bennett. And I think Virginia Tech under Mike Young has a chance to be right there. I I'll, I'll go out on a limb here and say that their ACC regular season champion this year will be one of those three teams. Florida State, Virginia, or Virginia Tech? Yes. Regular season champion. Regular season. Okay. Because you never know what's going to happen in a tournament. Yeah. I mean, Georgia possible. Tech won it last year, yes. right? Yes. <laughs> right. Well, Got some COVID help. Yes. And, and with college basketball, it seems like the trend is you either recruit top 10 players like the Blue Bloods do, or mm-hmm. you get good players, develop them, and then when they're seniors, you hope your seniors are better than the other team's freshmen. Right. Like Texas Tech, and, they went to the national championship a few years ago. Sure. Baylor last year just won a national championship. Ba- uh, right, and uh, you know, you get Gonzaga made the national championship last year. And, I mean, you've seen Loyola Chicago make a couple of deep NCAA yes. tournament runs now. And there's – just so, just so many teams that are making deep postseason runs, and if not winning the national championship, then getting close. Villanova. I mean, Villanova recruits well, but they're not all. They don't. He doesn't have a it's bunch. It's not of top, one and done. Exactly. Exactly. So, and I, I know Virginia Tech 
falls squarely on the player development side of things. That's how they have to win in college basketball. That's how they have to win in football, in my opinion. Um, I think it takes a certain, I think it takes a certain program to bring in those one and done type guys for whatever reason, whether it's the history of your program, like Kentucky or North Carolina, they're just going to attract those guys no matter what. Or whether it's Baylor for other reasons that some of those guys get attracted, but uh, uh, <laughs> I think uh, you know what I mean there. But um, I think Virginia Tech has to do it the opposite way, and, and that's why you know Mike Young's the perfect fit for the program right now. Well, and tons of experience for Virginia Tech this year again. Storm Murphy, a grad transfer, Kevin Aluma, lots of experience. Justin Mutz is playing in what feels like his fifth season, but I think it's only his fourth just with three different teams. So lots of experience for the Hokies, a chance to make a run in not only the ACC, but also the NCAA tournament. Want to check in with YouTube, Nick, any good questions in the chat today? Yeah. First, I wanted to mention there's a weird, weird injury update on Trey Turner. Uh, Fuente said this is the strangest injury he's ever seen. And uh, Trey Turner basically has air trapped in his neck. Uh, okay, that's what I heard on Friday night. We heard air bubbles and, in his and, 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 the, and they're very concerned about his ability to fly. Yes, and that's, that's why he, he didn't yep. he didn't travel okay. to Boston College. He said um, he's been looked at by everybody under the sun. Right. Weird. And it's just completely strange. Uh, Changa Hodge is back. Yep, he played. He was Friday dressed night. on Friday. Hodge uh, played for the first time. He's the fastest ACL, or he told Fuente when he tore his ACL, he wanted to be the fastest mm-hmm. guy to return from an ACL tear. You have to and admire that work ethic. He but did. the problem is, the guy hasn't played in that too. <laughs> well, and he has two torn ACLs, and yeah. Um, Any update on Braxton? He said he will play if he can go. <laughs> so that's <laughs> another no, no, look, 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 that's an acceptable answer. Yeah, that's an acceptable answer. I mean, he will play if he goes. I, I, I don't. I don't know. Look, uh, even if even if even if we he knew Burmeister couldn't play this week, he needs to come out there and say that he might play. So and let Duke prepare for that. Yeah, exactly. Right? Duke and, will have to yeah. prepare for a few different quarterbacks. That, that's an accept totally acceptable answer to me. Nothing said on Blumrick, though, um, and he said uh, James Mitchell will somehow participate in the senior festivities. Senior right, right. Um, so, it's, uh, do you want to answer football questions? Sure, sure, sure. Okay. As long as it's not about who's the next coach going to be or <laughs> when are they going to fire Justin. <laughs> you notice we avoided that in the football half of the podcast. Okay, so then what are the most important things to salvage at the end of the season, not even just winning games. What are the most important things to salvage? Uh, uh, Alex, Alex Orgy's number one on the list. <laughs> <laughs> players. Um, keep as many key players as you can. Um, you always have to worry about the transfer portal this year. There's going to be, and I want to warn everybody, whether Justin Fuente is the head coach or somebody else, there's going to be a massive amount of attrition between now and next year yeah. because they have to get back down to the 85 level. And the, and the NCAA is letting teams sign more players this year to make up for transfer portal losses. It's a huge mess. It's been poorly managed, in my opinion. Um, so there, imagine that. Yes. So uh, no way. So there's going to be a ton of attrition, no matter what. Um, I'm really, really worried about Tech's wide receiver room and the attrition they're they're going to face. I mean, I think Trey Turner's going to try his hand at the NFL. I think Tavion Robinson will be back. Although if he wasn't, who could blame him? I mean, considering the passing offense. The state of it. By the way, he's um, number, I believe, uh, number twelve in receptions in Virginia Tech history. Hey, I think really? that's what he, I read. He broke a hundred against um, Georgia Tech. Yeah. Um, if you're Jaden Payute, I just, 
I'd be out if I were him. I mean, you're in the two deep. You haven't caught a pass. Uh, Dwayne Lofton, you're in the two deep. You're Dwayne Lofton came to Virginia Tech because his high school coach was coached by Justin Fuente. And he comes in here and he's in the two deep as a true freshman. He's caught two passes. Jalen Jones is in the two deep as a true freshman. He's caught zero passes. Like, I'm afraid we're going to lose all those guys because why would you want to play yes. somewhere where you're just not going to touch the football, even if you're in the two deep? Uh, and that's just the way it is these days in college football. I'm not blaming anybody for that. And, and like I said, I wouldn't blame those guys a bit if they wanted to seek so, uh, go somewhere else. And so it's important, I think, just to salvage that group. And you don't want to base your coaching decisions solely on this as far as who you hire if you do fire Fuente. But it would be ideal to have a head coach who can get at least a couple of those guys to stay and say, look, you're not going to have another season where you're not going to catch any passes. You know, that, that's ridiculous, and we're going to have a better passing offense in the future. Because if those guys left, like – so let's see. Trey would be gone. Uh, Tavion would stay. Caleb Smith would stay. You, I mean, you could potentially lose four of your top six or three of your top six or something like that, and it was, it'd just be a scary situation. So, so part of it to me is like you're going to lose players to transfer, but you you can't make the Justin Fuente decision based on that. Guess what? You're going to lose players to transfer if you keep Justin Fuente. You have a better chance of keeping Jaden Payute with somebody else, in my opinion. Yes, because they point. could sell their new offense exactly. to him. Exactly. Right. Yep. So, uh, t- so part of that to me is like, I-, I wish I could push the fast-forward button and just get to the end of the season with a couple, few pauses to watch basketball games, <laughs> of course, and then figure out what everything's going to happen in the offseason. Because these last three games themselves – they're just so inc- inconsequential to Virginia Tech football long term. So, so if there is a coaching change, then it's up to the new coach to to make the pitch to the players that are still on the team. And to me, the pitch would be uh, stick with us through the spring. Here's here's what I'm telling you. I'll tell you this, this, and this. Stick with us through, through the spring and uh, see what you think. See if I'm telling the truth. See if they, things unfold the way I say they're going to. Because wide receivers in particular, I think, can can bounce and just go play somewhere the following yes. fall, even if they've been through spring with their previous team. So that's the argument I would use if I was a new coach. And, yeah, and it's a little different this year, though, because there's going to be so many guys in the portal because you got to get down to 85. So but, why, but, why, but, but most other, but you're not going to have a lot of schools aren't going to have room either. It's just it's it's more players than there are spots available. Yes. So how do those players manage that themselves? Yeah, I, mean, I don't know. It's yeah. it's going to be a giant mess. Well, and it could be a situation similar to when Mike Young came in. He would obviously both these guys ended up transferring eventually, but he brought Landers Nolly and he brought Tyrese Radford back, uh, and they ended up playing key roles. So it could be something like that where the new coach is able to say to Jaden Payute or maybe even Trey Turner, say, "Hey, come back one more year and and just see what this offense looks like." Yeah, absolutely, and because you know it's just as much. An unknown entering the portal, is, is it would be because you'd you'd be going to another situation with another offense, learning a new system, and you'd be doing the exact same thing at Virginia Tech. Yeah, you may. So so we should probably make the editorial decision that we're going to closely track everybody who enters the portal. Right. I mean, I know they keep a database of this stuff on twenty four seven, but um, keep track of who enters the portal and see how many of them actually leave because. Uh, entering the portal doesn't mean you're going to leave. Correct. You're just, and, and it, it just gives other schools an opportunity to, to legally contact yes. you. Yes. Yeah. And so the if again if there is a coaching change, which which I think there will be, then 
the new coach just gets to compete with all the teams that are contacting a player through the portal. So, yeah. all right. And then uh, on defensive side, this is a, this is a question: How many, do you see any changes that need to be done to the defense? You mean down the stretch? Yeah. Uh, I think you are what you are at this point. You're nine yeah. games in, and they've played uh, pretty. Besides the Syracuse game, well, they can't stop the run. Yeah, but well, uh, um, Alan Tisdale, after struggling mightily against uh, Syracuse, had a good game against Georgia Tech, and then he had three very bad games in a row, and then he had a great game against Georgia Tech, and then, and then he, he actually had his worst game this past week from right. a grading standpoint. From a, from a PFF grade, yeah. I, I feel like uh, an Art, artist actually uh, graded out pretty well. I the, think they day. played artist twelve snaps. I yeah, think is and he graded out pretty well. Yeah. So it's a smaller sample size with him. But at this point, I think he deserves an opportunity to play a football game and play fifty snaps in a football game to see if he can make us better. So you might see that. That's so. I, I looked at the uh, snap counts against um, against Boston College, and Dax basically didn't come off the field. Mm-hmm. Maybe, maybe there were a few plays where, for coverage reasons, he came off the field. Well, well, uh, you know, with no Dean Ferguson, he's not going to come off. The field. Yeah. I, so, yeah. so that's the point I'm making. And if you're thinking of artists at the mic, no, he's a backer, and he subbed for Tisdale. He in Boston for College. Tisdale. Yeah, he can play either spot. So, if you're going to bring him into a game, you would want to replace the worst of those two starters, and right now that, that would be Tisdale. Yeah. So I, I would like to see I would like to see that happen. I don't, now, it hasn't happened yet, and, and maybe it won't happen at this point, but I would like to see that experiment. Um, hopefully Mario Kendricks can come back soon. We don't know the extent of his injury, except he didn't play the other night, and they had to play Panay over 23 snaps. And he didn't play particularly well, but he's a, he's a true freshman who I think should probably is probably more of a fit at defensive end than defensive tackle. It's interesting. Anyway. I looked at his at, at Panay's grades, and you're right. He, he graded out well tackling mm-hmm. and in the other aspects of the game, not really, which is what you would expect from a he's young player. He's about a 255-pound defensive tackle. Yeah. He shouldn't be playing defensive tackle right now. Right. But he had to. Yeah. Let's do one more. Do you have any basketball questions in there? Uh, there are no basketball questions, but mine is, besides beating Louisville and snapping that streak, yes. what is the most important thing to do this season in basketball? The most important thing to do is to make the NCAA tournament and and keep hanging those banners, man. Uh, and this is how football has to get back on track. I mean, they have to, they have to win with mostly three-star recruits to improve their recruiting. I think, and that's what basketball is going to have to do. I mean, they, they need to take run this specific system. I mean, the two highest ranked recruits Mike Young has signed in this program were Joe Bamisil and Jalen Cohn, and they just got beat out by a couple of guys nobody else wanted in Hunter Couture and Naheem Aline, two lowly ranked players. Like Hunter Couture was like number five hundred something in the country in basketball, and. In football terms, that translates to somebody ranked around 3,000th in the country, <laughs> which is basically a two-star recruit. A guy that they barely bothered to enter into the database. Exactly, exactly. Storm Murphy, does, like, he's not even, he wasn't even ranked by 247. Not even in his state, not by anything. Just Did, did he have a profile? Did He, ever he had a profile, didn't have a pitcher, no stars. Man. Not even, like, two stars. They don't give anybody one star anymore. It's all, it's either... Five, four, three, two, or none. Well, he had none, right? So Tech's going to make the NCAA tournament this year with a zero-star recruit, uh, <laughs> a couple of guards that, that, if they were football recruits, would have been two-star recruits. Mutz would have been a two-star recruit, and Aluma would have been a two-star recruit um, Well, it's, in it's, football terms. It's three players in your starting lineup who originally committed to Wofford 
Right. And then Justin Mutz originally committed High Point. to High Point right. and then right. Delaware. Right. And then so you've got four guys yeah. who were not Power 5 players right. when they started their career. You're, you're, you're right. Mm. And uh, Aline, I guess, would have been the most highly recruited out of, out of all of those guys. Um, that's how basketball has to do it. They have to build up to that point by recruiting good system fits. And then after five or six years, you've won enough games and made enough NCAA tournament where – you can start to recruit a higher caliber of talent, and that's how UVA won the national championship. You know, it wasn't until Tony Bennett's you know fifth year or so that he signed that class with uh, Kyle, Kyle Guy, Guy, Ty Jerome, exactly. That, that, that DeAndre Hunter. I think they yeah, were all in the same class. I think Hunter may have been a little bit earlier because I think he left the year. No, but he redshirted though. Okay, he did redshirt. Right, okay. right. Um, and then their other big guy who's uh, in Diakite. The, uh, no, he was oh, before uh, the Salt. No, Jack not Hunter. Salt. The guy's in the NBA right now. Um, Anyhow, maybe he plays for the Lakers. Is it Huff? Yeah, Jay Huff. Uh, Jay Huff. Jay Huff yes. was a top 75 recruit. That was a four-man class. I always like me some Jay Huff, man. He's a good player. Yeah, Seven-foot guy who can shoot the, shoot exactly. the ball. Exactly. Yeah. I like Jack Salt, too. I used to always say the game ain't over till Jack Salt dunks. Right. Right. <laughs> right. So Yeah, so uh, that's how Tony Bennett built it at UVA, and that's how you have to build it at Virginia Tech, in my opinion. And that, uh, to me, I mean, that's how you have to build it in football and basketball. And I'm not suggesting Virginia Tech go out and sign the – intentionally sign the 75th ranked recruiting <laughs> class in football or anything like that but you're not gonna just go out there and sign a bunch of four stars on a dime and and if the last three or four years has taught us anything is, is virginia tech has a bunch of four-star players in the program right now in football that haven't developed player development's the most important thing and it's the most important thing in basketball too so so to me make the ncaa tournament and then make it again next year and just Make yourself a perennial NCAA tournament team. Raise your profile as a program, and that will give you access to better talent no matter what system you run. More opportunities you get in the NCAA tournament, more opportunities you get to make a run. So yep. it's, a, it's a one win or a single elimination tournament. Anything can happen. So Hokie's trying to get in for what would be the fifth straight NCAA tournament, uh, not counting that 2021. Nick, thank you for going through those for us, and thank you to everybody who was in the chat giving questions and comments throughout the day. Chris, what do we have coming up on Tech Sideline over the next few days? Got basketball tomorrow we have night. Another, we have another uh, basketball kind of preview article from Drew to, Scott, from Drew Scott GC <clears throat> Hokie 34 on our boards. And, uh, you know, other than that, it'll be regular football content this way and I, this week. And I want to make one more comment. Remember, every year back in the Ricky Stokes era, the main question on the basketball board would be, can we qualify for the Big East tournament this year? Mm-hmm. And now here we are talking about making five straight NCAA tournaments and, and, <laughs> and winning ACC regular season titles. Like, I, I don't know if I ever thought it would actually happen, but here we are. Very nice. Well, and tomorrow night, women's basketball also starts their season against Davidson. They are ranked to start off the year, and I believe Chris Hirons will be covering that game. Yeah, uh, he and David have gotten together on, on a preview, which I guess will be posted today or tomorrow but you would have to ask our managing editor yep, that's managing right. editor who is at justin fuente's press conference right now uh, and then preview will be posted wednesday for duke yep. and then and our preview podcast wednesday preview podcast i'm um, sure it'll be we may flip-flop it do basketball recap uh, uh in the first half and then duke preview in the second half mm-hmm. be sure be like sure that. to tune in to youtube and see we, me wear what i call my accidental duke shirt i have a polo shirt i wear when we preview duke games it looks, <laughs> it looks like a duke shirt we're looking forward to it. Uh, this could be the Hokies' last chance to get uh, a win this season and last chance for Hokies fans to tailgate. Uh, and it's a 3.30 game. 3.30 kick. Thank goodness. Yeah, it's not going to be a noon game. You could actually get a nice tailgating day in. 
<laughs> it's the most which, important thing right now. <laughs> I couldn't believe it wasn't a noon game. But, yes, 3.30 kick on Saturday for Virginia Tech and Duke. We'll preview that on Wednesday and, again, go through men's basketball's first game against Maine tomorrow night. That is an 8 p.m. tip in Castle Coliseum. Woman gets started at 5 p.m. against Davidson. Double header in Blacksburg. That's going to do it for Episode 206 of the Tech Sideline Podcast. want to thank everybody for tuning in and thank everybody on set. Will Stewart across the way, founder and general manager of TechSideline.com. He is at Will Stewart TSL on Twitter. Chris Coleman to my left, lead analyst and columnist for Tech Sideline at Chris Coleman TSL on Twitter. To my right, it is Nick Brown in the fourth chair. Did a great job once again. Nick Brown 33 on Twitter. That is correct. That is correct. Okay, I finally got it right. <laughs> Malcolm Stewart behind the scenes always does a great job as our podcast producer. And I'm Jake Lyman, your host, signing off. Enjoy the game tomorrow night, Hokies fans, and we'll talk to you on Wednesday.